Homestyle Green, Episode 63. What's the milk inside your fridge got in common with the ground outside your house? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this is the show about inspiring people to make a better place to live. And this week we're talking heat pumps, not just any old heat pumps, but ground source heat pumps. I caught up with Hugh Williams recently, who's a hydrogeologist from Geoscience Consulting. And we talked all about um, both heat pump technology in general and particularly ground source heat pumps, because Hugh knows a lot about the ground. Now, this is something I've been interested in. I and I bump into people talking about ground source. I've seen a few episodes of Grand Designs when they're laying down pipes under the ground in a trench. And I have been asked a few times about the capacity of the ground to maintain temperature and the usefulness of this technology. Uh, how relevant is it, not just in the New Zealand context, but also in the residential context as well. So we talk a little bit about that. And I thought it would be useful getting Hugh on the show to talk uh, to address those issues, but also unravel some of the mystery of ground source heat pumps. And aside from that, uh, Hugh's just a really, really nice guy. So he's got loads of experience. He's been doing this stuff for a long time in the UK and now here in New Zealand. And the other thing I really like about uh, chatting with Hugh is his motivation for doing what he does. And it's very much in line with, with why I do what I do. And it's, it really comes down to sustainability. And one of the motivations for Hugh was around carbon reduction, which is quite strong now in Europe and the UK, I think. And that comes through uh, quite strong in this interview. So I started out, as I usually do, asking Hugh about why he does what he does. Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, as you say, my name's Hugh Williams. I'm the senior hydrogeologist with Geoscience Consulting. I am... Um, I moved into ground source heat pump technology uh, here in New Zealand really because uh, I'm passionate about it. It's something that I've been promoting. Uh, I started promoting it in the UK about 10 years ago. Uh, moved here and now I'm basically trying to repeat the trick. Um, yep. The I, I guess the, the reason that I'm, I'm keen on it is I want to promote uh, carbon reduction through the uh, an area of expertise that I have, which integrates quite nicely with more of my traditional role, which would have been in uh, in groundwater resources, and it integrates the the sustainable uh, resource management stuff that I've always uh, been involved in in my career. So you've come kind of from the environmental side of things. Absolutely, yeah. The, my background as a hydrogeologist is uh, is that obviously I'm interested in in the ground and the way that the ground behaves, uh, and I think with ground source heat pumps, the unknown, the difficult bit of the system is the ground. The plant itself, perhaps in the plant room, is is not so troublesome. It, it's the ground component that's the difficult bit, and that's the bit where uh, historically perhaps they, they've tended to go wrong. Right. So let's start with that plant. For those that have heard the term but aren't, couldn't necessarily describe it themselves, how would you describe a heat pump? Well, uh, the unit itself, a heat pump unit, may typically be about the size of a... Um, of a washing machine or so it's uh the people probably don't know this but 
chances are you've already got a heat pump. Uh, it's exactly the same technology as you have on the back of your fridge. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, it's um, the same mechanism that's able to move thermal energy from, uh, from the milk in your fridge and pump it out into the air in your kitchen. Even though your kitchen's already warmer than your fridge, the heat pump is capable of moving the thermal energy from within the fridge into the kitchen. Uh, right. And essentially, that's the uh, that, that's exactly the same principle of the of the plant itself, um, except with the obviously with the with the heat pump on the back of your fridge, that's just putting thermal energy into the air. With the ground source system, you're uh, taking or uh, adding thermal energy to the ground. Okay, and so it's doing this by squeezing and uh, compressing air and, and then expanding it through a a cycle in that's right behind it's, the fridge that's right it's the compression expansion cycle that uh, you may well remember from uh, school physics of, of as when uh, molecules get further apart when you in an expansion cycle uh, that expanding of the uh, of the of your medium reduces the temperature and the compression of a, a fluid heats it up it was actually first proposed by a uh, lord kelvin back in 1853 so we're not we're not working with new technology here. Right, right. As much as uh, Mitsubishi and LG would like to think the think so. <laughs> so, what differentiates ground source heat pump from the ones that we're we're familiar with that are starting to be advertised now on the on the TV again now that it's autumn? Um, what's the difference between a ground source and an air to air heat pump? Well, the as, as we've discussed, the the technology, the principle behind it is the same. It's it's the, the component is the heat pump that can pump the thermal energy. The only difference is that with an air source heat pump, as the name suggests, you're exchanging the thermal energy with uh, from the inside of your building to the outside air. So when you've got a ground source heat pump, you're merely coupling the heat pump with a different um, source or sink of thermal energy, and that's the ground. Right. You mentioned source or sink there. So the same bit of ground can act as, as uh, both? That's right. Commonly, uh, the efficiencies and the development of a reverse cycle ground source heat pump means that the single ground uh, single heat pump unit can offer heating and as well as cooling. Right. So instead of having the big unit that hums outside and occasionally drips water uh, with a big fan on it, um, would I have a some pipes disappearing underground in in, in place of that? That's right. Yeah, um, it requires no plant above ground other than the uh, the heat pump unit itself. As you say, then that's coupled to the ground loop. So basically, there are a couple of different kinds of system. Um, the most likely system for a domestic would be a closed loop ground source heat pump, where instead of having the fan to pull air in and out of the uh, heat exchanger, you've got a buried loop pipe in the ground um, and Around that, you circulate a heat exchange fluid. Uh, basically, the, the, the air from your, uh, if you're cooling your, your building, the thermal energy will be passed through the heat pump into the fluid within the pipe. You then circulate that through the ground. Uh, you, the fluid goes through the pipe that's in the ground. It exchanges uh, thermal energy with the ground and then comes back to your building. Um, it's obviously lost temperature if you're heating or it's gained temperature if you're cooling. Uh, depending on the on on the season, uh, and then that that affects the heat exchange between uh, your building 
and the ground. I want to come back to specifics, uh, if we can, just in terms of like the size of the hole and, and how much pipe and, and some of those um, details. But before we do that, who's, since Lord Kelvin, <laughs> who's kind of taken the lead on this stuff now? Who Who's doing heat pump technology the best? Or well, the, ground source specifically? The uh, the first commercial heat pump was installed in the US in, in Portland in Oregon in the late 1940s. Um, and basically it's grown since then. Uh, they're popular in Sweden since the 1970s. I, I actually looked this up uh, to prepare for this interview and uh, in 2009, the U.S. Department of Energy estimated that around 56% of ground source heat pump installations worldwide are in North America, so that's Canada and the States. Right. Uh, Europe accounted for 39%, probably yeah. mostly Scandinavia, and that left about 5% mostly for the Asian market. Is that right? Because I was expecting the Asians would be the, the sort of Asian region, Japan would, would might be the leading um uh, industry there, but it's it's North America's really taken off for for the ground source, yes. But it did mention that um, in the last few years, up to the two thousand and nine report, it was Japan and Turkey that were uh, installing some uh, some large amount of uh, of ground source uh, energy. So it it is growing. Um, the market in general, up to two thousand and nine, um, was increasing by over 10% for every year in the last 10 years. So it's certainly a... For 10 a growth, years, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that's quite a growth That's quite a growth rate. So who should be interested in this stuff in New Zealand? Well, um, obviously, because we're what we're utilising with ground source heat pumps is the ambient temperature of the ground. We're not talking about high-temperature geothermal. So we're not talking about the, you know, the bubbling ground in Rotorua or Topo. Uh, this is ambient temperature stuff. So um, right. So that uh, that other stuff is is a different technology when you're actually using the fact that there's hot stuff down there. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's probably one of the hurdles, <laughs> perhaps, to the technology is that people assume that geothermal is already um, widely utilised in New Zealand. But right. what we're talking, that's high temperature geothermal. What we're talking about is ambient temperature right. geothermal. So uh, I, I would suggest that though that um, you wouldn't really use it so you wouldn't use a heat pump in the high geothermal areas so perhaps the first uh, and most obvious caveat for a heat ground source heat pumps in New Zealand is to uh, stay away from the particularly high uh, geothermal areas so if you've got bubbling mud in your backyard you don't want a ground source heat pump you would not be needing the ground source <laughs> heat pump no. all right but for the rest of us uh, out of out of the rest of the country who from that pool should be interested well, um, typically what, uh, what we've seen is um, people putting these on, particularly on new builds. They, if, it's a, if it's a standalone system, they tend to be larger domestic. Mm -hmm. um, the advantage of it being a new build is you've got all of the, um, all of the insulation rating that's high uh, that benefits the efficiency of the ground source heat pump system. But um, we're seeing a fair mix of uh, large domestic and then probably outside our sphere of influence here is the is the commercial sector um, and the public sector the uh, publicly funded sector where uh, ground source heat pumps are um, particularly picking up at the moment are you doing a bit of work in Christchurch uh, yep that's right there's a fair bit of interest uh, through Christchurch there's certain conditions of the ground in Christchurch that do make it favorable 
uh, notwithstanding the uh, the seismicity, <laughs> there, there are <laughs> there are some factors that in urban Christchurch um, that make ground source heat pump a very uh, attractive option. Uh, it's to do with the, the just the behaviour of the strata and, and the the um, manner through which groundwater flows through the ground uh, right. is is favourable for ground source. But having said that, um, essentially uh, away from these high geothermal areas, you can put a ground source heat pump in in anywhere. Um, it just affects the size and therefore the cost of the system. Okay, so. Coming back to the numbers, um, if I am interested in a residential kind of installation, how big a hole do I need and what sort of price am I looking at if I'm, if I'm comparing to other air-to-air systems or or even just um, maybe an in-slab hydronic heater with a, with a, a gas boiler or, a, or an air-to-air heat pump? Well, the... Um... The main barrier to ground source heat pump is always going to be the uh, overcoming the installation cost. Mm-hmm. Of course, with air source, uh, all you have to do is, is stick your plant above ground. You've got your fan on the on your outside wall. Uh, so actually, uh, drilling into the ground is always going to be more expensive because it requires specialist contractors, specialist equipment, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to the. Um, it really comes down to the. The simple payback of the system, uh, ground source, a uh, well-designed ground source system will be more efficient than an air source. It will be more efficient than a gas boiler. Say a gas boiler might work at a coefficient of performance of say 0.9. Uh, an air source might be a coefficient of performance of, of two or, or three. Um, we'd aim to have a ground, a well-designed ground source heat pump system to have a coefficient of performance of, of five or seven. Wow, so, five to seven. Five seven on a well-designed system. Yeah, now, so- I, I suspect that some of the um, suppliers of air-to-air might might dispute <laughs> that figure of two to three. Perhaps, perhaps I was being a little pessimistic. Were you talking four, four or five? Well, are we being pessimistic or are we being realistic about the difference between their their theoretical performance value and their in situ performance? That's right. Yeah, the, uh, there is a there's a, there is study to go on about. Um, it's not yet published. It was from the UK about actually monitoring these systems for a number of number of years to see to, to basically validate the uh, the performance criteria that they have uh, when they're installed and of course utilised in in real world situations. So I, th- I think that will be interesting to uh, to validate that. But in principle, ground source has a. I mean, that's a staggering coefficient of performance. What that's essentially saying is for every one kilowatt of electrical energy you're putting in to make the system go which is essentially your pumps and your fans i assume yes you're correct. benefiting about five between five and seven kilowatts of heat energy or cooling load depending on which way you're going yep uh that you're benefiting from so that's a staggering uh ratio what what's the key reason that makes the ground source more efficient that much more efficient than air to air well, uh, if we if we compare the two, if we take a hot summer's day, the mm-hmm. ambient air temperature is at its highest, and that's the moment when you're trying to cool your building, and you're using the outside temperature uh, as the heat exchange medium. And then, of course, the opposite is true in winter when it's cold outside. You're trying to heat your building with cold air. It's the ground. Uh, it's the it's the temperature of the ground that gives these high efficiencies. The, ground, the temperature of the ground beneath a few metres from the surface 
tends not to change much. It's approximately the average annual air temperature, plus or minus a couple of degrees. So in summer, when you're, the, the temperature in your building is warm, chances are that the ground temperature will be slightly less. So the heat pump there is working with a thermal gradient. It has less electrical work to do to exchange that heat from your building to the ground because the ground is going to be cooler. Right. And then, of course, conversely in winter, when you've got a cold air within your building, the ground can actually be warmer at depth than yeah. your than your building. So again, you're working with this gradient, and it's that um, it's it's that annual predictable um, and fairly constant ground temperature that provides you with the uh, with that much improved performance. Now, I've seen a couple of episodes of Grand Designs where they're laying out cores of cable fairly shallow. Do you? Can you go sh- um, wide and shallow or or deep? Does it matter which way you go? It's all to just it's it's all part of the um, the feasibility really. You can only get a certain amount of thermal energy out of the ground before you overstress a certain uh, the, the certain area that your that your installed loop um, can exchange the heat with. So. I have seen examples where um, a heating-dominated ground source heat pump system is actually capable of freezing the ground because you've taken too much thermal energy out of the ground. Right, so, sucking all the heat out. Precisely, yeah. So um, the part of the design is to decide whether the basically whether the footprint of a horizontal system, which is, as you can imagine, is going to be a lot larger than a vertical system because, as you say, you lay out the, the pipe in all these trenches and so on. So to get a reasonable amount of thermal energy from a horizontal system, you have to have a fairly large space. And of course, that space really has to be maintained as grass. If you start growing trees uh, on that paddock or if you start start, um, messing around with it too much, you can imagine that those loop pipes are fairly susceptible to damage unless you keep it under a nice lawn. Right, right. with a with a vertical system as we call them, so in a borehole heat exchanger, a vertically down drilled um, pipe installed into the ground, the footprint of that to get a given meters meters of loop in the ground, you can imagine that uh, that's got a much smaller footprint. So basically, uh, it's all part of the design to see whether how, how large the building load is, given your available footprint for the ground loop to be installed. So that that's part of the design. And would it be true that most of the cost of that will be drilling the hole? Yeah, absolutely. With a, as I said earlier, it requires specialist contractors. Uh, the horizontal systems, you can just have a backhoe um, digger, fairly cheap uh, to install. But with the vertical system, you do need these specialist drilling contractors. Do you, can you uh, give a sort of a typical price for an installation? Well, the, um, a, a typical domestic size uh, heat pump may well require a vertical bore drilled anywhere between 75 metres to 150 metres depth. Wow, that's pretty deep. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, hopefully we stay above that geothermal gradient we were talking about earlier and we have a fairly constant temperature. But um, yeah, it, so they, they go up to 150. They're, larger systems may have deeper boreholes but let's say for a house we might be going to uh 
100, 120 meters deep. Um, the drilling rates really will be based on, uh, at the moment, the driller's experience and how many of these systems they've put in at the moment. Uh, as I said earlier, in the UK, uh, I was promoting this sort of work 10 years ago. They're fairly well established now, a lot of the uh, consultants and contractors in the UK. And we've seen the drilling price come down significantly as the contractors get more used to uh, these kinds of installations. Here, we could consider this to be a fairly um, early stage in the market. So I'd say that the, whilst the drilling costs um, installed loop may be uh, $100 per linear meter of borehole, right. um, I would be very surprised to, if I was saying uh, that sort of number in perhaps five years' time. I, I would okay. hope that would come down significantly. And I'm just thinking that we're going to see a lot more higher density buildings. So it might be something to look at for uh, a development where someone's doing not so much district heating, but uh, heating across a larger number of, of units. Is that sort of a common application? Absolutely, yeah. District heating, we do call them district heating cooling systems, even if they're they're essentially two different buildings linked up to the same the same right. system. So, yeah, absolutely. These district heating and cooling systems um, are ideal. You've got a lot of opportunity to uh, move thermal energy around if you've got simultaneous heating and cooling loads. Right. Of course, that has an opportunity to reduce the uh, size of the ground couple component and therefore reduce the drilling costs. Um, it's, a, it's an application that's incredibly popular, uh, particularly in Canada, um, where... Uh, buildings are adjacent buildings are hooked up and uh, it's something that was looked at very seriously in Christchurch yeah um, system down there but a, a development of um you, you start to get these economies of scale with yeah. even um you know upwards of three or four uh subdivisions say if you can hook all of those up onto a single system then you really you're really starting to get those economies of scale you can share a whole you, yeah, you can share a hole. You can have multiple uh, multiple holes. It's it's uh, part of the design is to is to work out the minimum separation of bores that will be sustainable and acceptable, um, right? Because that reduces your pumping costs, your circulator pump costs, which is uh, what you touched on earlier about the uh, the energy usage. It's basically the circulator pump, right? Um, so it's it's designing a system that uh, is efficient as possible and spacing out these boreholes so that they don't interfere with one another. Uh, it would be a would be a large consideration for one of these uh, domestic one of these sorry um, district heating and cooling systems. So clearly, uh, there's quite a lot for people to get their heads around if they're uh, interested. In, but you guys have put uh, made quite a lot of information available. Where can people go to find out more? Well, there is a lot of uh, information on the internet. Some of it's good. Some of it, yeah, perhaps is slightly misleading. Where can people um, go to get the good stuff? Yeah. Well, I would, in, in the absence of a of a in a, an association um, or a mature association in this country, the, the generally international internationally adopted standards have come from the uh, International Ground Source Heat Pump Association, which is um, based in the states. Yep. Uh, they run a internationally recognised accreditation so that you can go through a um, 
you can go through various stages of their training and demonstrate your project skills to become an accredited installer right and then an accredited designer so i i would recommend that you you wouldn't have a you wouldn't put your uh you wouldn't have a building designed by anyone other than an architect. So why would you have a ground? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> by anyone other than a, um, you know, other than anyone that's suitably qualified. So uh, really, uh, I'm trying to push the International Ground Source Heat Pump Association accreditation scheme. It's got a very good website. You can Google that. It's IGSPA is the um, I-G-S-H-P-A is their acronym. Um, there is, I would also say that, um, there is a geothermal heat pump association of New Zealand. Yep, uh, that offers advice. It's got some uh, some guidelines on there. They're not standards yet, but they are guidelines, and that's got some uh, information about where to where to go next. Uh, there isn't, as this is a fairly uh, early stage in this in this field in New Zealand. Um, there isn't a great deal of domestic experience, I'd have to say, and I think the uh, geothermal heat pump association of New Zealand. Uh, is trying to bring together the knowledge that is in here, mostly imported, uh, like myself from from the UK. Um, right. We work with a guy from Canada who's got twenty years design experience, and 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 we're we're both uh, pretty heavily involved in the Geothermal Heat Pump Association of New Zealand, and I think that's a really good uh, starting point. Uh, again, that's that's just simple internet search; you'll find that, um, and yep. that, that's a good starting point. So that's NZ Geothermal. .org.nz. It's yes, and I think just by having that organisation there is a bit of a signal that this is relevant because I think a lot of people might think, oh, we don't need that here. It's we don't have the extreme climates, but then people say that about double glazing sometimes too. <laughs> um, so I think you know by having that association, it does give some uh, validity to the technology in the New Zealand context. Absolutely, yeah, couldn't agree more. It's the uh, you know, we might put in a we might put in a good system, and not many people might hear about it unless we shout about it. Yep. If a system goes in and it's poorly designed and it fails, then I'm sure uh, everyone will hear about it. So yeah. it's getting these, it, it's getting it right. It's get, making sure you've got an accredited designer, um, someone who's got a, a background and experience in in ground source heat pump. And I'd, I'd, I'd go down to the um, to the domestic scale on that as well. It's you know, don't get someone on who's trying it out on your own house. Get someone who's who can demonstrate that they've uh, sustainably designed these before. Because of course, when you t- on day one when you turn them on, they'll all work. Uh, it's just that year-on-year annual build-up of thermal energy in the ground. If that doesn't dissipate within the time frame that you're uh, that you're using the heat pump for, then yeah. it may well fall over in two years' time. Five right. years, even ten years time, uh, you can you might freeze the ground after ten years, and by then, where's your uh, you know you probably ring the uh, you ring the number on the side of the heat pump, but that's likely being made by a manufacturer who's who doesn't want to know about the ground, yeah, they just yeah. want to know about yeah. the operation of the heat pump. So it's getting a it's it's making sure that it's the right credentials of the uh, ground loop designer, and as I touched on earlier, it's the ground part that's the difficult part, and yeah. that's that's where I've come at it being a, a hydrogeologist. And it's the design of that aspect. I mean, you, there'll be plenty of people that can dig dig a hole for you, but you need someone to design the the parameters of that hole. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's it's to demonstrate that they've 
not just put in a hundred meter deep borehole because that's what it says on the internet. Uh, yeah. to demonstrate that you can you can achieve a sustainable heat um, abstraction or rejection from the length of loop pipe that you have had installed in the ground. Awesome. Hey, well, that's it's all very interesting stuff here, and I really appreciate uh, you giving us a bit of an insight into it. I, uh, it's definitely an interesting one to to watch. Uh, you got a book? You got a book recommendation for us? Well, it's it's not actually a book, but it's it's a website that was recommended to me just the other day. It's called the Carbon War Room. It's uh, carbonwarroom.com. Right. So it's it's bringing together uh, globally lots of different initiatives, and, and there's lots of things on there that um, that I've enjoyed reading just out of interest. Things like um, uh, the aviation industry and what they're doing to reduce their carbon footprint, because obviously they're fairly heavy polluters. And so it, it's a really uh, you know it's about sh- it's uh, reducing the carbon footprint of shipping around the world. It's 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 a real it's a real interesting resource for um, you know for, for someone with a with a general view of um, uh, of the kinds of initiatives that are going on. It's and it's got some really uh, really cutting edge, uh, interesting ideas that people are promoting, and uh, it, it's a it's a good read. And that kind of brings us nicely back to the first question of why, which is a, is for you that environmental aspect of uh, wanting to reduce impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Hugh. Really appreciate that. And um, I hope uh, people found that interesting and maybe pick up more on the technology in the residential sector, uh, in certainly uh, around the world, what's going on. But um, it'd be good to see some more installations in New Zealand too. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Matthew. Pleasure. Cheers, Hugh. Thanks. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hugh Williams from uh, Geoscience Consulting. Hugh's also, as he mentioned, involved in a few other organisations to do with uh, ground source heat pump technology and um, stuff under the ground, basically. So a little bit different episode today. I uh, hope, hope that was useful. We, 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 got it, we geeked out a little bit there and, and got a little bit technical. And uh, let me know what you think of that. Would you like to get more technical on on specific details? I know that it's not likely that heat, ground source heat pumps is, is probably on your priority list for your building project or renovation, but I thought that was interesting anyway, just seeing what, what is out there. A few things I took away from that interview. Gee, I, I just love the fact that heat pump technology and that that cycle of compression and expansion has been around since 1853. Lord Kelvin, he's uh, he's probably one of my heroes, actually. Uh, he's a fascinating guy. We, talk about, we could probably talk about him in a whole episode. Um, but uh, did a lot of interesting stuff with thermodynamics. So nothing new, these, these heat pump things. Um, but that wasn't the key learning I got. A couple of the points that I picked up from, from Hugh. One was the fact that you, it's actually possible to freeze the ground, uh, and that points to the fact of getting someone who knows what they're doing to, to do this stuff and that the th- some of the things that can potentially go wrong. Um, but, gee, that's, that's pretty impressive. It shows the, the, what's possible in, in moving heat and, and moving energy around. It is actually possible to, to freeze the ground. The fact that the, air, the ground temperature... Uh, stays pretty well constant, and that constant sits at the average annual air temperature, plus or minus a few degrees. And that really is the key to why 
air source heat, uh, ground source heat pump, sorry, are so efficient because they just, it's like that big thermal flywheel and it's not that far away from us. It's just underneath the ground there. And that is, I think, the attraction of, of trying to, to get down there and have that thermocouple between the, the uh, house and, and underneath the ground. So a couple of the numbers there, finally, that I thought were interesting. Point nine was the sort of assumed uh, top end of efficiency for a gas boiler. So that's saying basically from a if you burn gas, it's about 90% efficient. Uh, with an air-to-air typical heat pump that we're used to, like a split system reverse cycle air conditioner, we're, we're talking in the range of uh, a coefficient performance of two to three in situ. Now, I know some models advertise, they do advertise, and some are probably pretty capable now of achieving high values around four, maybe even five of that. So you put in one, one kilowatt of electricity, get four or five kilowatts of heat out. But ground source heat pumps, five to seven. That is very impressive. So you for the big bang for your biggest bang for your buck, you're putting in a dollar of worth of uh, electricity. You're getting essentially five dollars worth of with heat out of that. But you do have to weigh that up, of course, with the upfront investment of digging a big hole. That is enough for this week. I will link up the information that Hugh put up, um, uh, addressed, particularly the, the carbon carbon war room. Go and check that out. Sounds like a, an interesting resource. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, love to get your questions, and I have had a few questions recently, and I hope to address those. Particularly on edge insulation keeps keeps coming up as an issue. Uh, great to see people really wanting to some answers on how they get that done for their house and certainly if you are thinking about heating your slab you definitely want to get the perimeter edge of that concrete very well insulated you've been listening to another episode of homestyle green i am matthew cutler welsh and it's been a pleasure so tune in again next week